The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's business world, you need to have a unique edge in order to thrive. Your show host, Lisa Chickles, understands you have to live it to get it. And she is here to give what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is Chat with Chickles, featuring brand champion Lisa Chickles. In this program, you'll hear from the experts who are already making differences in their business while picking up strategies that can help you and your business survive and thrive. Now, here's your host, Lisa Chickles. Welcome. It's so nice to have you here today, and I'm broadcasting live from Toronto, Canada. And thank you for taking the time to join me on my show on teams, what it really takes to build them and lead them in today's business world. This show is for people who want to succeed in business, whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur. So far on the show, we've chatted about innovation and how, and how to get people to say yes to your ideas. And then once they say yes, how to get those ideas to the finish line. And then last week, we talked about leadership. And today it's about teams. So why teams today? Because if you can't lead a team, then you can't be a leader. So we're going to chat about how to build that high-performing team, how to build trust, and the role that it plays in building those teams, how to manage the corporate athlete so you don't burn out your team, and then the four stages of teamwork, and that you need to storm in order to get to perform. And you'll hear a little bit more about that later. So building trust. So last week on leadership, I referenced a book by John C. Maxwell titled The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. One of the laws that we didn't review was the one called the law of solid ground. And I thought it was it was very appropriate today. Maxwell says trust is the foundation of leadership and that in order to build trust, a leader must exemplify the qualities of competence, connection and character. He goes on to say that people will forgive occasional mistakes because of, um, you know, ability, especially, you know, if they're new in a role, people understand when you're new, you're learning and you're going to make mistakes. You kind of get a bit of a, you know, 30-day pass and sometimes 90 days on those things. But for him, he had said, you know, when he was actually in a leadership role, he had made a mistake. He had made three decisions without consultation with his church. Yes, John Maxwell was actually a minister. And I didn't mention that on my last show, and I thought it was it was important today. So you'd think, like, he's a minister. He's automatically going to have trust. Um, but it doesn't really work that way. But perhaps he thought that role gave him that trust. And normally when he was making a decision with the people of his church or his staff, he would, you know, bring them together and talk about, you know, what he was debating, what some of the issues might be, and, you know, get their input and then why he was making this decision. So then people were comfortable with it. At this stage in leading this ministry and this church, he he was at a stage where he felt that, you know, they already trusted him, we were in a great place, and he can go ahead and make these decisions without their input. And in his mind and the people that he worked with, they also agreed they were good decisions, but because he didn't consult with them, this changed. This 
and their trust radar went up. They basically felt like, wait a minute, what's different here? Why is uh, John leading differently? And this actually started to erode trust. What he did say is that you, you can build that trust back as long as you admit your mistake, talk to people, bring the group, the team together, and then also make sure you don't do it again because that those false I'm sorry's don't work either. It is about recognizing, look, as a leader, I've made a mistake. I'm okay to admit that. That's how you learn. But then let's make sure you don't do it again. So in his case, he was able to win back their trust. I had a similar experience when I was working in an advertising agency. Unfortunately, it had a different outcome. The founder of the regional office that I was working in had moved on to a new role, and he was being replaced by a new leader. For context, this leader was new to the industry. They had never worked in advertising before. Certainly, they'd worked with advertising agencies and thought, wow, this is the most fun part of my job. This is going to be great. But they hadn't actually led an advertising agency. And what that meant is, like we talked about a couple of shows ago, he didn't really fully understand the business model how it worked, the pace of the business, how decisions were made, the role that clients played, how you managed your revenue and the normal ups and downs of those revenues, especially towards the last quarter. So unfortunately, without this background and information, he made an error in judgment. And it seemed like a small decision, I'm sure, to him. He basically canceled a well-held tradition of a Monday morning company-wide status meeting. This meeting was mandatory for all department heads and client leads, so that would be me, like myself, and, but it, and it was optional for the rest of the staff. However, it was always a very well-attended meeting. I mean, it was a Monday morning. It was a great way to get back into the week. It was only about 15 to 30 minutes, but the purpose of that meeting was really to provide everyone with an understanding of what was going on that week. So what were the pressure points? What were the big projects that were coming in? And because of the pace of the business, it's not uncommon that we would, you know, have competing priorities all with the same deadline. You might have a couple of new business meetings, some campaigns that are need to be out into the marketplace, and that always put pressure on different resources. And this meeting allowed the leader and his team to see where those pressure points were. So did we need to add resources somewhere? Or um, it also meant, you know, if your project isn't a priority, can it wait till next week? And then also, if you see some of those people in the hallway who are looking quite stressed, you know, maybe just give them a smile and say, you know, hang in there. And again, it was a great way to build support for the organization. So when this new leader canceled the meeting, um, he didn't consult with his direct reports, much like what Maxwell did when at his church. But the difference with Maxwell is that he'd been working with his team for some time, and he had already built up trust uh, with the people that he worked with. In this case, this person hadn't had an opportunity to build this trust and didn't know the industry. So when this decision was made, certainly my trust radar went on alert. I think at the time, I don't know if I would have known what that was, that it was a trust radar, but I know I was like, hmm, we need to watch this a little bit. Maybe he needs more help than he realizes. So you know, in my mind, I don't think he realized why these meetings were held in the first place and their importance. But then it also kind of felt in some ways, well, was this way of him saying, hey, I'm, you know, the new leader and I'm going to change things and this is the way things are going to work under my leadership. I really don't know sort of what was going on in his mind, but clearly he didn't understand the business implications. And if the new leader had consulted with the team, we could have shared our insights and helped him to avoid 
what became an error in judgment. Um, by not having this, these meetings, there was no sense of those pressure points, which meant, you know, especially in our studio or in production area, it led to a lot of burnout or potentially missed deadlines. Unfortunately, this wasn't, this was one of many errors in judgment. Um, it was clear that the new leader did not understand the law of solid ground. It was also in direct contrast to the previous leader that we had. So this was a big shift in culture and a big shift in the way that we worked. The new leader, unfortunately, only lasted about eight months. Leading a new company is tough enough, but also changing industries, that makes it even tougher. Because you're going in to lead something. You don't know the team. You don't know the organization. But you don't also fully understand the industry and the business model. So I learned a lot from this experience. And when I began working in the not-for-profit sector, I realized I didn't understand the business model. I hadn't worked in this in this area of business before. I understood marketing and communications and business development. But I didn't really understand how the whole fundraising concept worked. How do you convince people to give you donations, et cetera. And in particular, in the area of direct response fundraising. So for me, they kind of look like those terrible commercials or the direct mail seemed, oh, this doesn't feel like great creative work from the world that I came from. And also didn't understand major gifts and how that all worked. How can people give you millions of dollars and how does that work? So for me, remembering this experience, um, I took the time to meet with my team's excuse me, individually, you know, to make sure that I understood their business models. Why did they make the decisions that they made? What were the implications if I wanted to make a change? This not only helped me to make informed decisions, but it also built trust with the team. I was honest about what I knew and what I didn't know, and then I relied on their expertise to help me make informed and good decisions. It also gave me an opportunity to share some of my experience um, and how I might be able to help and how I might be able to help to build the business. At the end of the day, you know, we have to remember, um, you need to do what's right for the business and the money will follow. I think that what the issue was with the new leader at the advertising agency is that he didn't take the time to meet with his team, to understand the business model, build the trust that was necessary to avoid making some potentially damaging decisions. Maxwell also talks about in his book that every leader has a certain amount of change in their pocket when they start in a new leadership position. From then on, they either build up the change or they pay it out. If they make one bad decision after another, they keep paying out the change. And when you're out of change, you're out as a leader. And for the new leader of that advertising agency, he ran out of change pretty quickly. And as I said, he left the organization. Sometimes I wonder... What if he had understood the law of solid ground? Maybe he would have made some different decisions. So then how do you build this trust in an organization? We certainly heard some examples of how not to do it and some examples uh, in changing industries of how you can. But what else can you do? You know, how do you know you're on solid ground? Well, I was introduced to a tool by a consultant. Uh, Unfortunately, I can't seem to be able to find the source of the article, so my apologies for um, not referencing it. But we had done an employee survey at one of the organizations I was working for, and the number one issue that came up in the survey was trust. I I hadn't seen this before. Um, I hadn't done a lot of these employee surveys, so it was surprising to me. It was kind of, you know, I've certainly seen things like, oh, you know, you're not communicating enough, or I don't fully understand the benefits plan, or I think I'm being underpaid, some things that were maybe a little bit more tangible and easier to address. But a word like trust, like, how do you do that? 
And of course, we were a new management team and we also had a new leader. So we weren't sure how to address such an issue. How do you build the trust? Isn't that just something that you either have or you don't? How do you earn it? Um, And this consultant who was helping us with our five-year strategic plan had suggested that we do a little bit of a quiz and go through what he called the trust checklist and evaluate each of our ability to adhere to certain behaviors. So basically what he was saying is that these behaviors, if followed consistently, can help to build trust. This was the first time I'd heard it put this way, and I found it really interesting was why I always kept this checklist in my file of things that you need to know. So given that it's not a clear outcome, it does become about, well, how do you build those behaviors and what are they? So I'm going to go through the list um, and just kind of keep a mental note. And in your mind, think about, you know, how, how well do you follow these? Do you do it all the time? Sometimes never. And then... Um, I'll go through some of the detail and give you examples. So how well, and there's eight of them, just so you know, how well do you keep promises and honor commitments? Acknowledge and apologize for your mistakes. Remain loyal to the absent. Share information, both positive and negative, with people who need to hear it. Involve others in decisions that affect them. Give credit where credit is due. Communicate consistently, regardless of the situation of the person's authority or their influence. And honor confidential and sensitive information. So it looks like we're coming up on a break. We're going to be back in a few minutes, and I'm going to talk to you more about these eight different items on the checklist, what they mean, give you some background and some stories, and why they're so important in building trust. Be back in a few minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. Well, we're back and we're chatting about trust and how trust is the foundation for successfully leading teams. We also talked about the law of solid ground, that trust is the foundation of leadership. And we just reviewed the trust checklist. 
and how being consistent in applying these behaviors can help you to build trust. So what I'm going to do right now is go through each of those individually. So the first one was, you know, how well do you keep promises and honor commitments? You know, this sounds so simple. And how many of us have overpromised and underdelivered, especially in today's busy time? I worked with a boss <laughs> like that who would make commitments to clients out of the kindness of his heart and the desire to, you know, get things done quickly. But as a team, we were sometimes unable to deliver. Over the time, over time, the client began to doubt our ability to keep our promises, and it eroded trust. This taught me to give myself some wiggle room when I responded to a request for a deadline. Especially now working as a consultant, there are lots of deadlines, and you're sitting there going, well, do I have wiggle room? Is it really due Friday at 9 o'clock? Um, so someone gave me this great piece of advice. You know, if someone says to you, you know, I need this, you know, by Friday, your response could be, well, if if I got it to you by that time, what would you do with it? And usually what that did was give people a moment to pause and reflect on really what they had on their plate for that day, that weekend, whatever it might be. And the response would usually come back saying, well, actually, you know what? I'm in meetings all day Friday and then I'm out for the weekend. So you know what? Actually, Monday morning would be fine. I won't get a chance to really look at it till Monday. Now, sometimes they will tell you, yes, it is Friday at nine, but at least you have a sense of, you know, how how strict is that deadline? Do I have any wiggle room? So I've used that technique and it's worked very well for me. I would also say, you know, just be careful when you're making commitments on behalf of your team. You don't always really know what's going on, what other deadlines and commitments they might have. Um, And again, this boss, I, you know, I really wish he had understood that and learned that. Uh, Because what you don't want to do is not be able to meet those deadlines and those commitments. Because thinking about that, even in your personal life, you know, that friend that, you know, constantly cancels or says yes and then no and or is late when you're, you know, meeting up for a movie or whatever it might be. You know, over time you start to, you know, distrust them or to recognize that maybe they're unreliable. So those are just things for you to keep in mind. The second one on the list is acknowledge and apologize for your mistakes. So this is very much what uh, John Maxwell did when he made those decisions about, you know, those three decisions in his organization or in his church. And he acknowledged his error. And by doing that, he regained trust with his team. And he also made sure he didn't do it again. So I also am on a condo board. And you know what? We're not going to get into the details of that. It's a very interesting role. And the property manager said to me once that it made me look weak to admit my mistakes or to apologize. You know, that gave me pause and I found it an odd response. And I actually couldn't disagree more. Sure, in the short term, people may be able to poke a little bit of fun. But in the end, it does build trust. And certainly the people on the team know that as a leader, you're willing to admit your mistakes and and you're willing to fix it the next time. For me, it was a lot like our discussion on evaluating the risk tolerance in an organization or their culture to understand if their culture was a fear of making mistakes or if it was one that embraced the freedom to fail. So for me, I really think it's about, you know, just be honest. If we all kind of checked our egos at the door and are humble enough to admit what we don't know, then we're in a better position as a team to actually build for the future and to pull from each other of what we do know so that we can have a strong team. 
So for me, by, by being able to acknowledge and apologize for your mistakes, you're going a long way to building trust and getting towards a high-performing team. The third one was remain loyal to the absent. For me, this means that if you're having a meeting with someone on your team and one of your colleagues isn't present, is to remain loyal to them and to their best interests. You have accountability as a team member to represent each other's points of view in a meeting or to insist that no major decision be made without that person's input. Just think about how you would feel if a meeting took place discussing allocation of office space or resources and none of your colleagues, you know, stood up to say, you know what, actually, I don't think that's great for Lisa. Maybe we should wait till she can join us or, you know, let's take a little bit more time to think about it. Would you trust the team or feel good about working with them if they weren't representing your interests or if people made those decisions? You know, it's a little bit like having each other's back. And it's an expression that, you know, I I didn't use a lot, but I've worked with people who use it a lot and I've come to understand it better. So, you know, you want to make sure that someone's got your back. You don't want to always be checking over your shoulder because if you are, then how are you getting to the finish line? It's kind of like that swimmer analogy. You know, if you're always looking over your shoulder, you're losing time to get to the finish line. So it's kind of nice to know that people have your back. The other one is to share information, both positive and negative, with people who need to hear it. And this is a tough one for people, especially on the negative side. Sometimes we avoid these conversations. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. You know, we kind of hope the issue will go away. But really think about it. What if someone, what if there was an issue with you? Or what if there was a concern and no one told you? You, you wouldn't be giving that person time to address it, to maybe change their behavior. Maybe they don't realize that they've made this mistake. And I think the same is on the positive side. I think Sometimes when you're working in a team or in an organization and maybe you're not on that particular team and that team is performing well, you know, do you take the time to kind of pop by their office and say, hey, you know, congratulations, great work. Or, you know, I think that's why we all like some of the social media when we get our little likes, it makes us feel good. Um, And it just gives you that energy that you need to kind of take things to the finish line. So both on the negative and the positive, you know, take the time. And take your time to make sure, especially on the negative side, that you're positioning it in the right way. But remember, it's a gift. It gives people a chance to address maybe some of their potential mistakes. And then on the positive side, you know, just, um, you know, it's always nice to get that, uh, that thumbs up or that like. The other one is to involve others in decisions that affect them. So again, this sounds so simple. Um, I worked as a consultant with an advertising agency, and this is an example of someone who really didn't understand this concept. I was hired as a strategic planner, and the CEO told me that she had hired another consultant on the creative side of the business, but she hadn't told her partners. I wasn't her partner. I was a consultant. She said she didn't understand why they were so upset. She felt that this was a great decision, that it would relieve some of the pressure that they're under in terms of the deadlines, and that it was a good hiring decision. This person had lots of credibility. And for me, I was actually surprised that she didn't realize that this, you know, would be kind of potentially eroding trust with her team. So we tried to talk about it. She wasn't really kind of getting there. So I thought, you know what, Lisa, take it out of the business and put it into the personal. Sometimes people need to get out of their current situation to be able to hear you differently. So I said to her, well... You know, what if your husband had gone out and bought a house without telling you? You know, and said, hey, honey, look, I bought this great house. Aren't you so excited? I said, how would you feel? I mean, would you trust him? It's like, why would he do that without your consultation? 
I said, I think that's how the team felt. You were partners. You were, you should be aligned when you're making these big decisions. Unfortunately, because she wasn't going through her truck trust checklist, she lost trust with that creative team and they eventually left the organization. Again, it seems so simple, but sometimes we get caught up in assumptions. Well, wouldn't they be glad? You know, I was just trying to make things easier. Trust is key. And if you're not building it with your team, then, you know, perhaps you are eroding it. And then how can you get to great performance if your team members can't trust you? So the sixth one is give credit where credit is due. And, and, and this one I really like because it is, again, so simple. You know, we do so much work in teams. I mean, even think back to your university and college days and all those group projects and you kind of roll your eyes going, oh my gosh, not again. Well, by the way, that's exactly how it is in the business world, right? It's those same people that you were in those group projects with are the same people you're working with in an organization. Um, and it, and just because you're in an organization doesn't mean people's behaviors change. So for me, the whole give credit where credit is due is important. I think it tells your team members that they can trust you and that you respect them and that you're respecting the work that they do and honoring the work that they do by by making sure people know about the credit. We also talk about it in social media and acknowledging our source material. Like if I sat here and started chatting about all this great stuff as if it was my original ideas, you're not going to trust me. You won't have trust in that person who's chatting with you. So I'll give you an example of when I was quite shocked and, again, was reminded of this idea of credit where credit is due, is um, I was working on a project with my team and we were launching a new fundraising initiative. And the finance uh, lead of the organization was presenting the work that we had done on the contingency plan. What you need to know is this was a huge Gantt chart. We had done so much work pulling different parts of the organization together. You know, if this decision, then this, what's the right timing? And he was presenting it to uh, the management team, so a larger part of the organization. And, and again, I don't mind if someone else is presenting the work. We don't all need to be at the front of the room. But I just made the assumption that, of course, he would thank the team or say, you know, even say we did this in conjunction with the team. Um, but he didn't. He actually presented the work as if it was his own. And, and I was quite shocked. I actually didn't know what to say. And as they say in, in the world of the Brits, I was gobsmacked. I, I sat there going, wow, I, I actually thought I trusted this person. I actually thought they had my back. I thought we were in this together. And in that moment, I went, oh, I don't think we are. And so not only did, did it make me feel kind of sick to my stomach that somebody that I thought I could trust, I wasn't sure I could. But now what do I say to my team? So they're coming away from that meeting feeling quite crushed. And then, you know, how, how do you handle something like that? So again, just make sure that you give credit where credit is due. And sometimes it's an honest omission. Um, I was working in an ad agency and we had just won a big piece of business. And I was given some news right before I went up to make the announcement. And so I got a bit flustered. I was a little bit blindsided. And even though I kind of had my speech in my head, I sort of forgot it. And there was one person on the team that had done a ton of work and I was looking right at them and I totally forgot to mention their name. And I didn't even realize I didn't say it because I think through osmosis, I kind of thought, you know, maybe I did say it. And his boss came to me the next day and said, you know, Lisa, um, you, know, you know, this guy was quite surprised that you didn't mention him. I felt horrible. I thought, oh my gosh, how could I have done that? And of course, immediately apologized, immediately sent a note out to the organization saying, you know, my apologies, you know, my, my misstep. So again, sometimes it can absolutely be an honest mistake. 
but just just make sure if it is that you tell people and and just don't do it because it's just not cool. The other thing that you want to do is communicate consistently regardless of the situation or the person's authority or influence. And you know the kind of people that I mean here. These are the people that treat the night cleaning staff exactly the same way that they treat their boss. Actually, they probably treat them even better. These are the people that you're like, wow, there's somebody I want to work with. I hope they're my leader. I'd love to work with them. Think about what an amazing and productive environment it would be to work with someone who treated people that way. And then the last one is to honor confidential and sensitive information. This is important, and sometimes we can get caught up in the idea of, oh, well, is it really confidential? Or if I tell them but tell people not to tell them, it won't get out. So it's tough because sometimes these pieces of information are interesting. Or you're saying, well, how do I balance the need for confidentiality with the other ideas of making sure people, you know, decisions that affect them, that they're involved or that you're letting people know both positive and negative comments. It's tough. For me, I'd rather not know. When I worked with the CFO and we were often dealing with confidential information around P&Ls and people's salaries, I told him, I don't want to know. Turn your screen. I'll close my eyes. I just, I don't want to even know. You know, it's not really relevant. And also, I think I might have been a bit annoyed if, depending on what those salaries were. So basically what that did for both of us is it built a lot of trust because he knew he could share things with me that I wouldn't tell. And boy, did we ever become a high-performing team. So we're coming up on a break. And when I come back, we're going to talk about the four stages of teamwork and building those corporate athletes. Chat with you in a bit. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chat with chickles at rogers.com now back to this week's show and we're back again and we've been chatting about teams how to build trust which is the foundation of leadership the law of solid ground the trust checklist and how consistently displaying these behaviors can help you to build trust in your team 
And now we're talking about the four stages of team performance. And yes, there are stages. And I have to tell you, I didn't know that when I first started um, working and it probably would have helped me when I was in university and college as well. But those stages of teamwork help you to understand what you as a team are going through. And then how do you get to this performance that everybody's talking about? And then finally, we'll wrap up with the corporate athlete. So the four stages of teamwork are forming, storming, norming, and performing. This model was first introduced by Bruce, Brooke, Bruce, sorry, Bruce Tuckerman, Tuckman, apologies, Bruce, in 1965. He mentioned that these phrases are all necessary and inevitable in order for the team to grow, to face up to challenges, to tackle problems, to find solutions, to plan work, and to deliver results. And it's important not to skip a stage because each stage builds upon the other. I have an example where we skipped a stage and I got to tell you, the outcome was not good. We were not performing well. So let's start with the first one. So what happens at the stage of forming? At this stage, the team is really getting to know each other. So again, think about we're forming a relationship. We're forming a team. And we're starting to figure out why this team has come together, sort of what the task is ahead of us, what the opportunities might be, what the challenges are, what's the mandate. This might be when a group might sit down and do like a team charter. I mean, that was big at one time. Or to kind of talk about the rules of engagement or how we're going to work as a team. And pretty much at this point, you know, people are working pretty independently. You know, they tend to be a bit on their best behavior and they're very focused on themselves. And the forming of a team is important because at this stage, you can also get to know one another. Maybe you chat a little bit about people's personal backgrounds. So you have a sense of where they're coming from, maybe what they might be going through at this time. So it also helps you to understand what pressures they might be under and get a sense of who they are. And then what, what could impact their ability to tackle a big problem? Think of your first day of school, you know, when meeting your new teacher for the first time. Or remember that dinner with your significant other's family, you know, the first time you kind of all sat down together? And you'd heard all these crazy stories, but when you met them, like, no, they seem great. You know, pretty relevant after the holidays. Well, this is, this is what we mean by that forming stage and how people might be on their best behavior and how you're just starting to get a glimpse into each other. So one of the risks of that first stage is that we, all, we are all new and perhaps we're being too polite and we may not feel comfortable enough to challenge each other. And, and that's what happened to me. Uh, we were working on a project at an advertising agency for a confectionery packaged goods company. And we produce the worst advertising I've ever been associated with. So like I said to you in the show, I'm going to tell you like, you know, the wins and the losses and all of the learning in between. So some of us felt that it wasn't a great concept, even at the kind of concept stage. So we hadn't even presented to the client. We were still figuring it out. And we're looking at this stuff going, hmm, I don't know if this is right. And even the creative team said, I remember at the time they said, this is either brilliant or terrible. And I'm not sure which. And I sh probably should have picked up that cue, but I was new to the team. I, I really wasn't sure, you know, how aggressive should I be? You know, sometimes when you're working with creative people, you can be a bit intimidated by their ability and creativity. And the boss at the time was, you know, she was a pretty strong person as well. So I wasn't sure how she would react. So you know what? I, I remained silent. Um, so we all, I think anybody who was feeling a little uncomfortable just kept our concerns to ourselves. And unfortunately, the campaign failed miserably. Uh, we had done in-market research. And what that means is once the campaign or commercial was, you know, on TV, on air, 
um, we did research to find out what people thought. And oh boy, did we fail. I don't think people were really even using social media at the time. And we actually got, you know, emails and things telling us how bad it was. So <laughs> it had pretty much no, little to no awareness, despite that we were at kind of traditional media levels or traditional advertising levels that would have created awareness. And some people said that it was actually insulted their intelligence. I'm like, okay, this was like huge learning. I remember just sitting there again, another reason to feel gobsmacked that, oh my gosh, have we ever made a bad mistake? Um, Now the good news is I have to compliment the client on this. They did not fire us and they absolutely, I'm sure had every reason to do that, but we did have to redo the campaign. And we realized in going through that process that we had broken trust, that there was no way we could say, oh, don't worry, we'll sort it out, or don't worry, it will look better when we get it into execution. The client had asked us to test at every stage of the creative development process. And and that's pretty common today, but at the time it wasn't. And what it said to me was, wow, these guys really don't trust us. And part of the challenge is sometimes it's hard to test at a concept stage, you know, before it's all finished, how do you really know? But we managed to find a solution and one that tested well that we could then um, put back on the air. Um, And and I would say in fairness to all of us, I think the challenge was that it was a confectionery product, really, and we were trying to make a medical claim. And it's tough, right? Because you want to keep the fun, but you also have to have the seriousness of the message and the message was kind of hard to understand. So anyway, the good news is that we did get something on air and it was much better than the other campaign. And we were able to rebuild trust with our team and with the client. And I really have to say that I think our challenge was is that we were at that forming stage. We were new. We didn't know what the rules of engagement were. We didn't know, you know, how to challenge each other in a way that was productive and and was potentially helpful. So really what we needed to go through was the next stage, which is called storming. And it's just what it sounds like. And actually, this can sometimes be my most favorite stage. It's the most stressful, but it's also the most exciting. It can be very eye-opening. And when you get through it, it's so rewarding. So at this stage, participants kind of form opinions about the character integrity of the people on their team. And they feel compelled to voice their opinions if they find someone is kind of shrinking responsibility or shirking responsibility. So think about that in your, you know, when you're in um, in school and you're working on that group project and wait a minute, you know, Joe never seems to get his work done. This is when people start to feel comfortable saying, hey, Joe, like, what's the deal? And sometimes that's just to say, okay, clearly he's got something else going on. How can I help? So sometimes per- participants question the actions or decisions of the leaders. Um, and, that, and that's good because you know, the leader can't know everything. And this is the time to say, wait a minute, are you sure we're going in the right direction? I was working on a project and one of uh, my direct reports came to me and said, Lisa, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. Now we were under pretty tight timelines. We'd already had approval at a national level. This was something I really didn't want to hear. But I also knew that if she didn't believe in the project and if she wasn't convinced that this was the right way to go, she wouldn't have been on side, which means she wouldn't have really been able to contribute as a team member. So I gave her um, the opportunity to do some more work on her own, to research it, to make sure she felt comfortable, and that I was willing to change our direction based on what she came back with. Now, when she did come back, she said, no, I'm completely on board. But she felt good that I had given her that opportunity. Because again, as a leader, you can't see it all. 
So unfortunately, some groups try, may try to avoid this storming phase um, because it, it can be sensitive and it, it can be tough and it can feel judgmental and all that good stuff. One of my clients called it productive tension. And it's actually really critical because that's the only way you're going to get to high performance. The team needs to know that it's okay to disagree. Uh, they also need to know that they can trust the people on the team and that you can voice your opinions and no one's going to make it personal. Because I, I think that's an important part of storming. This isn't an attack. It's not personal. This is someone feeling comfortable to say, mm, I'm not sure. Help me get through this. So it's okay to have those dis- disagreements. Now, the one thing you need to know is that, unfortunately, sometimes things can get quite heated. People can have strong opinions, and if you don't know how to storm, it can be uncomfortable. I've actually been in a meeting where two of my clients were actually about to get physical. Um, It was a very uncomfortable meeting, and both co-leaders were kind of shouting at each other, and the tensions were mounting. And it would have, it was kind of one of those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And it's, it's not always to go through, easy to go through this stage, but someone really does have to step in and help people through the storm. And in this case, it was me. And I could hear my mother's voice and how she handled disputes between my two older brothers. So I think I was well positioned to handle this one in particular. The key is to diffuse and separate. That's what I remember my mom doing. So give people time to cool off or calm down. And then come back at it. And and now that you've kind of got it out in your system, okay, what is the real issue? I mean, clearly the emotions were high. Might have been something else going on in people's lives. You never know. Can't make those assumptions. But once you go through it, it's like, okay, we've been through it. Now what? Now how are we going to move forward as a team? And the key is just to get through it so that you can move to the next stage, right? Because, again, remember, it's a process. So the next stage is norming. And I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, we're not even at performing yet. No, you got to go through the form, the storm, and now you're at norm. And really what this means is people are now starting to get comfortable with those rules of engagement. They're starting, you know, to feel comfortable in their roles. They're starting to understand how to challenge. They're actually letting go some of the quirks of some of the people in your team. You know, maybe, you know, Susie's always late. Oh, well, you kind of know that. And instead of getting upset about it, you let it go because her contribution is great. Or maybe she has childcare issues and this is just the way it works. So maybe you work around it. So you're working as a team. You're understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses. And as a team, you have each other's back. You have to get to the stage in order to be able to get to perform. So yay, finally, the final stage. So with group norms and roles established, group members start to now focus on achieving the common goals. So at this stage, we haven't even really done any major work yet. We're still just trying to figure each other out. Um, And if you can get here, this is when you get to those unexpectedly high levels of success. This is those high-performing teams. Think about sports teams. Think about teams that you've worked with in your organization or successful entrepreneurs. And you go, wow, there just seemed to be something that was working at that time in that company. Look at the growth. Look at the people. You know, what was it? It Was it the individuals? Was it how they worked? And you can't quite put your finger on it, but you can look at different organizations and say, yeah, that's a time when it was hugely successful or teams when they were hugely successful. So it is important to kind of get through this stage. And unfortunately, one of the other things that you need to know is that if you change any team members, none of us really want to hear this, by the way, if you change any team members or add people to your team, you have to go through the whole process again, right? Because the new person 
hasn't been a part of it. They don't understand who all these people are. They don't know the rules of engagement. And sure, you can write them all down and you can brief them, but it's not the same as experiencing it, right? This is what they couldn't teach you in business school because you have to live it to get it or sometimes you have to survive it to get it. But this is the stage where, you know, that new team member just kind of needs time. So, so what I would say to you is just remember that they need the time. They need time to go through it. You need to be patient. But the key is to go through the stages because you do want to get to that high-performing team. So we're about to come up on another break. So what, we, what have we talked about so far? We've talked about the law of solid ground, the trust checklist, and the four stages of, of uh, team performance and how to survive the storm. Now, uh, what about the corporate athlete? How do you train, perform, celebrate, and recover so you don't burn out your team? So we'll be back in a bit, and we'll be talking about that more, and we'll chat with you real soon. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. If you are a beginning or aspiring entrepreneur, have you thought about a coach or mentor? For instance, think about sports figures who have successfully become entrepreneurs and leaders in business. They started out with a coach in their respective sport, and many work with a coach today to help them continue to achieve their goals. Listen for ESCN with host Michael Dawson and co-host Angelia Hobson and Diane Daniels. Tune in Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, and 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business and rebroadcasts on Voice America Sports. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. So we're back to uh, chat with Chickles, and we're coming up on our final segment of the show. And this is usually when I wrap up and chat a bit about next week. But I do want to talk about the corporate athlete. Uh, how do you train, perform, celebrate, and recover so you don't burn out your team? When I was working on the Nike business at an advertising agency, a colleague of mine gave me this article to read. It was titled The Corporate Athlete, and it had appeared in the Harvard Business Review. For those who 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 know me, uh, they know I am by no means an athlete. I work out, I do my yoga, but my lack of hand-eye coordination usually meant I was the last one picked for a team. But in the corporate world, perhaps I had a chance. Now, Nike would say to me, well, Lisa, you know what? If you have a body, you are an athlete. And I appreciate that, but I'm not really quite sure. So the concept of the cor- corporate athlete was really intriguing for me. What could we learn about high-performing teams from athletes? 
According to this article, extensive research had been done in sports science that confirmed the capacity to mobilize energy on demand is really the foundation of ideal state of performance. So high performance comes from the capacity to mobilize energy on demand. So just think about if you were a sprinter. So that moment when you have to get all that energy to be able to perform at that moment. This work also demonstrated that effective energy management has two key components, the energy, the expenditure part, which actually they called stress, and energy renewal, which they called recovery. In their living laboratory of sports, they learned that the real enemy of high performance wasn't stress, that actually stress was a motivator. It actually fueled you. You know, I don't know if you've heard that term about, you know, you need a certain amount of positive stress in order to actually get you to action. Rather, it's the absence of disciplined intermittent recovery. Chronic stress without recovery kind of depletes your energy resources, and it leads to burnout and breakdown and ultimately undermines your performance. So think about that in a team environment. If you're constantly performing and you're not taking the opportunity to recover, what happens to the team? They had also said in this article that, you know, the typical athlete really only performs, you know, for a small percentage of the time, maybe several hours a day at the most. Whereas the typical executive, by contrast, devotes almost no time to training and must perform on demand to about, you know, 10 to 14 hours a day. So really something to keep in mind. And for me, when I was working um, on this business and someone had given me this article, it was such a gift because I hadn't really thought about recovery. I was, I was someone who went, okay, we've got that done. All right, got to get on to the next thing because it was kind of a fast-paced business. But this article actually kind of gave me permission to pause and to think about the times of needed recovery. So on the team that I was leading at the time, we actually made the decision to do a couple of offsites. We did one in the spring and one in the winter. And we spent time thinking about what that would be and we experimented with different models. And basically we realized we needed to do it outside um, because you get different energy when you're in nature. I mean, there's lots of books that talk about that. And it also meant we were all kind of on a level playing field. Like nobody was the boss. We were all just, you know, and especially me not being an athlete, I was certainly the last one either up the hill or down the hill, whether it was hiking or skiing. Uh, But it definitely gave the team a way to come together. And I remember at one time that my boss kind of challenged me because it did cost a little bit of money. It wasn't a ton of money. But he did challenge me like, are you guys actually doing work on these offsites? Like you're coming up with strategies and visions and all that. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure we are with, you know, my fingers crossed behind my back. But in a way, we were, right? Because that recovery time allowed us to be so much more effective and productive as a team. And I would say at that time, that team that I worked with, we were probably one of the most high-performing teams in the organization. We had built revenue. We had done award-winning work. We had built revenue for our clients. We had won new business. So, You know, sometimes it seems like recovery is a rest or you're slacking off. But what people need to understand is it's an important part of performance. And I find sometimes if you think about an athlete and take it out of your typical business environment, some of these concepts are easier to see than when you're actually sitting at your desk. I think one of the other things to think about in this idea of performance and training and recovery is the concept of celebration. Some people don't take enough time to celebrate. And even if you don't win, there's always an opportunity to celebrate the learning or the fact that you got it done, like when we launched that new uh, fundraising product at that not-for-profit I was working with. 
taking the time out to celebrate, to acknowledge each other's accomplishments, even if you didn't win the game in the end, is critical. Because think about it, you there's so much more work ahead, so many more things that you need to do. But if you don't take at least a little bit of time to celebrate, I mean, think about the sports world, winning the Stanley Cup or winning a football game. Like, you know, people do take that time to celebrate and it fuels you because you know what? You don't know when the next win is going to come. Or you may need that memory to tap into just to get you through the next challenge. So, for example, um, I, a friend of mine is a, is a lawyer and she just became the partner in a law firm. So, a huge, huge um, a celebration and win for her. And one of the things that we talked to her about was make sure you celebrate that accomplishment every single chance you get. Because you know what, you're going to need it on those days where you wish, you know, you were in flower arranging or you were working at a coffee shop instead of being a lawyer. So just making sure that you have that time. Because again, you don't know when those other victories are going to come. And if this is a great success, make sure you take the time uh, time out to celebrate. So, ne- so basically, what have we talked about today, just as I start to wrap up? We talked about building trust in teams and how that's critical in terms of performance. We talked about the law of solid ground and how trust is the foundation of leadership and how every leader has a certain amount of change in their pocket. And when they start in a new leadership position, uh, from then on, uh, they are either building up the change or they're paying it out. And when you run out of change, uh, you run out of leadership. Building trust in teams and using the trust checklist. How well do you keep promises and honor commitments? Acknowledge and apologize for your mistake. Remain loyal to the absent. Share information, both positive and negative, with the people who need to hear it. Involve others in decisions that affect them. Give credit where credit is due. Communicate consistently, no matter what the position or the authority of the person that you're chatting with. And honor confidential and sensitive information. All of these go a long way to building trust in your team and in your organization. And then, of course, who can forget the four stages of team performance? The form, the dreaded storm, the norm, and the perform. Remember, don't be afraid to storm. It's a, it's, it's a natural part of the process. And if you can get through it, you can have a high-performing team. And then finally, the co- corporate athlete. And remembering to take the time to do the training, to do the performance, to celebrate, and to recover. You know, so you don't burn out. So that the team that you have can continue to be a winning team. Remember... Your best players will always play injured. So make sure that you're making them take those breaks. You know, they don't have to be at every game. They don't have to be in every meeting. Sometimes let someone else take the lead so that someone can have a bit of recovery time and a rest. So next week, okay, my hope, fingers crossed, and again, this is live. You never know what's going to happen. I'm hoping to have a guest, and it will be my first one because this is Chat with Chickles. And as much as I love chatting with you, I think you might like to hear somebody else's voice than mine. So if this person, if I convince this person to say yes, we're going to be talking about leadership through transition. We're going to chat about a company that had to lead through an IPO, how it impacted their business model, their succession planning, and their culture. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, to quote a Clint Eastwood movie. Um, And if my guest um, is able to come, I think it'll be a great discussion. Now, if they aren't able to join us, then I'll be talking more about the entrepreneur and the intrapreneur. What is an intrapreneur? What does that mean? Remember the whole concept of the jungle lion and the zoo lion? I want to explore that a bit more. And then, of course, at the end, who moved my cheese? How did I get here? I didn't even know. So, 
thank you so much for listening and uh, being with me today. I hope you found today's topic helpful and something that you can put into your everyday practice. And don't forget, you have to live it together to get it. And that's why they can't teach it to you in business school. And sometimes you just have to, you have to survive it to get it. So remember, you can reach me at chatwithchickles at rogers.com. That's chat with C-H-I-C-U-L-E-S at rogers.com. Like me on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, and check out my website at lisachicklesconsulting.com. I'm your host, Lisa Chickles, and you're a part of Chat with Chickles, what they couldn't teach you in business school. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for Chat with Chickles. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time for another edition with brand expert Lisa Chickles on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again on the next show.